Amen. Well, the way this is going, this might be a tear-soaked gospel message this morning. What a great, great morning of worship we're having. <clears throat> well, let's ask God to prepare our hearts to receive his word. Heavenly Father, oh, good day. God, we thank you for the many, many privileges that you have given us, God. Today we look to consider the privileges found in our salvation. They are great. God, I ask that you would prepare us in a special way to understand, to see your glory, to know something about the salvation that you have given us, God, that would just hold the attention of our mind every day. God, we love you. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, or your iPad, or your smartphone, I'd ask that you direct that to the first letter of Peter, chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 10 through 12, and we're going to look at the privileges that, that we have in our salvation. This sermon has been titled, A Privileged generation. A couple years back, I was given the opportunity to go to the Winter Jam with our youth group in Springfield, not the extreme winter conference that our youth is going to, that you're going to lovingly support next Sunday at the pancake breakfast. Not that one, not that one, a different one. But we, we were able to go to a, a concert with many great Christian speakers and performers and we're, we're sitting there in the crowd. We had a, had a decent seat, but pretty high up. I mean, you could make people out, see them on the screen. Uh, and it was awesome. And then they, they asked if for any youth pastors that were there to, to stand up. So I did. And they said, okay, now we want all you guys to come down front. Somebody's going to meet you down front, and we'll meet with you guys for a little bit. So I said, okay, you know, that sounds pretty good. So I, I go down there. Well, they, they take us to, they, we go to the stage. And the guy that's there says, okay, you guys follow us. And there's probably 40 or 50 of us. There's a lot of us. So we, we, we follow him. We go back behind the stage into this gymnasium area in the Coliseum. And there's the performers. There's the speakers just all right there. And they just wanted to meet with us. They wanted to encourage us. They wanted to build us up, tell us of, of the great work that we were doing, pouring into the youth. And we just had this privilege to get up close and personal with, with people that have you know shaped our ministries in various ways through their preaching and singing and, and things like that. And it was just an awesome experience, and it's one that when I go back to that memory, that, that's kind of where I go. Man, I remember that. That was so special. I got to meet with those people and speak with those people in a special way. As we look at our, our salvation today, we're going to see a privilege there that's beyond any illustration or comparison that I can give you. But if we can just grasp these privileges, what it can do for our mind is unimaginable. We can consider the privilege that God has given us. It will, it will shape our lives. It will change the way we live. We are living in a, in a fallen world as, child, as children of God. And it's so extremely important 
on what we fix our, our minds to, to think about. As Brother Richard preached to us last week on persisting in the faith, he spoke a little bit about persecution, and he, he spoke on how the persecution that, that we faced here in the West, particularly in the United States, is a little different than, than what's seen in, in other places in the world. It's, it's maybe not as, as heavy as some of the persecution that, that they're facing, say, in, in, in the Middle East or other places, but, but it is coming. But what we face today is largely psychological. And it, and it seems to me that America has a way of sort of disguising this, this persecution. Um, it, it comes by the form of, of social pressures. It comes by the form of political uh, pressures, things like that. And there's even a certain rhetoric that the media will use, the, the, the type of language that they use that kind of disguises it, but if you pick up on it, you can, you can see it. Let me, let me give you an example of that. If, you, if you're watching the news and there's been a, a terrorist attack or something like that somewhere in our nation around the world, uh, a Muslim terrorist, for instance, they're not going to call that person a, a, a Muslim terrorist. They're going to call him a radical fundamentalist. There's an attack done by a radical fundamentalist at, at this place, at this time, and these are the consequences of that. Now, if you pay attention and you hear Christians spoken about when they're standing up for the truth, if they're speaking out against abortion, if they're speaking on uh, sexual purity or, or, or the importance of marriage or any of those kind of hot-button type issues, media will say and people will say, not that you're a Christian being bold, you're not a hero, you're not a martyr, but you're a radical fundamentalist and you need to change because the truth of the world stands against the truth that, that we hold to so it is imperative imperative that we control our minds if you if you look closely it seems that there's a, a net of christian persecution that's been thrown out and it's being drawn back in and every day we're being caught up in it and if your mind is not fixed on the things of God, if your mind is not attached to the things of salvation and the grace that save you and your safekeeping that you have in your salvation, the way that you handle any type of persecution and even just discipline for the Christian life is going to be greatly affected. But fix your minds on the things of God, particularly as Peter is laying out here on the things of our salvation, the greatness there, the privileges there, you will be able to stand firm for whatever comes your way, that comes our way. The passage I'm going to focus in on in 1 Peter is just those verses 10 through 12, but to, to gather some context, I'm going to go ahead and read this, this, these first 12 verses in its, in its entirety. And then we're just going to drill down into these, to these verses and move through this as best as we can. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 3. And the word of the Lord reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now in verse 10, where we're going to begin to really focus on, he says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So I want you to see in this passage, I want you to see God as the great architect of our salvation, and I want you to see the privileged position that you hold in that plan for salvation so that you will clearly see that your salvation is completely and absolutely deserving of your constant consideration. So I want to give us three reasons why our salvation deserves to be the constant focus of our mind. Three reasons why our salvation deserves our constant consideration. Reason number one, this is where I want to start. Our salvation deserves this constant consideration because we have been given a complete view of the gospel. A complete view of the gospel. When, it, when Peter's speaking about the, the prophets here, it says the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and, and the glories to follow. Now the prophets of old, they, they were witness to and partakers of many, many wondrous things that from, from the the exodus of the Israelites, the, the battle of when God just destroyed the gods of Egypt. Moses was able to come up on the, the burning bush and hear the voice of the Lord. Abraham was a friend with God. Enoch walked with God. These prophets held a, a special place, yet when it came to salvation through grace, through the gospel of Jesus, they got glimpses. They got flashes of, of the Messiah to come. Who is this? They're being prophesied to by the Spirit of Christ and they're just searching almost frantically to, to figure out who that could possibly be. I, I can imagine them coming to, to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and looking at these sufferings that they spoke of and the glories to follow. And as, I, as I read this, consider that. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. They're reading that, and it's just, what? Who could this be? How is this going to happen? He, he crushed him for, for our transgressions? What is this grace to come? And so they would search the Scriptures. They, they no doubt went through the Psalms and, and, and read of David's words that, that the Holy One would not see death, that David seen his Lord at the right hand of his Lord, or my Lord at the right hand of my Lord, with, with his enemies under his feet. But that's as close as they got. It's as if they saw 
a trailer, a movie trailer, right? You see a movie preview coming on, and you think, wow, that looks good. I want to know who the bad guy is. I want to know how he's going to kill those bad guys. I want to know everything that's coming out. How is this going to take place? And then you go to the movie, and you sit down, and you get to see the whole thing unfold, and it's just so great the way it all comes together. That's the difference we have with the prophets, what they were able to see, the glimpses of the glory and salvation through Jesus, but the full revelation, the complete view of the gospel that we have. Consider, consider those privileges that we, that we have in the gospel. We have the complete view of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and the whole thing is about Jesus. The whole thing is his story about the redemption of mankind, and we have it all. We have those writings. We have those prophecies. We have the New Testament, the fulfillment even of those prophecies. We get to see redemptive history completely unfolded. We have this prophetic word Peter refers to just a few pages over in his second letter. He says this, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. He's saying even, even greater than, than the prophecies, and they were eyewitnesses to these things. This generation of ours, we have the complete, full view of the gospel. We have been given this immense privilege to see it in its entirety. I mean, every year at Easter, right, we, we, we revisit the gospel. We see the passion of Christ, and we see His sufferings, and then we see... His exalting to the right hand of God. We get to see all of that unfold and, and know who that Messiah is and know that we're going to get to see Him one day. And to the prophets, our salvation, ours, it was revealed to them that it wasn't themselves that they were ministering to, but it was us. Our salvation was the pinnacle of their studies. So let me ask you this. How much more should your own salvation be for your thoughts and your consideration and your studying in the Scriptures as a partaker of that grace that was to come, as a follower of Jesus Christ the Messiah, knowing Him personally, how much greater, how much greater should our appreciation be? We know the, the price that was paid. We know what He did for us and we know, we know what's coming. We've, we've seen We've seen the end of the story. So how much more deserving of our constant inquiry and consideration should your own salvation be to you? Now, before moving on to the, to the next reason, there's, there's something else I want to I pull out of here, and it's not in, in the outline. Whenever you spend 30 or 40 hours studying a scripture, it's kind of like an avalanche, and sometimes you just can't turn it off. Things keep coming to you. But there's something that I, that I want to point out that I just felt like is, is a problem that a lot of people have with what I'm trying to, to teach you to do to concentrate and focus on salvation. And I think it's, it's a misunderstanding of, of the grace seen in, in, in the gospel. Now the grace that comes to us is how this is used here in the passage. And that word grace here is the Greek word kardis which is not just salvation, but it, is, it implies salvation and the motives and everything behind it that brought it to us. And so I've talked to, to people, and, and I'm sure you have too, and maybe you've even thought this on your own, that the gospel is something you just kind of pick up on your way to being a Christian. Okay, I've got 
salvation. Okay, Jesus died for me. All right, great. So let's go on to the deep stuff. The gospel is the deep stuff. It's, it's not just the parking lot at the foot of the mountain. It is the peak of every mountain that God has ever created. And we will search its wonder and its glory for all of eternity. But I think where we lose that is in the grace that God gives us as a part of our salvation. The grace that our salvation actually comes through. So if you, if you maybe struggle there and you think, well, I just don't know if there's enough there to, to hold my attention. I mean, God... He sent Jesus and he, he died for us? Okay, let, let, let's just consider the grace of God just for a moment. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is enough in the grace of God and salvation to keep you focused for a lifetime of lifetimes. But consider the grace you find yourself struggling to focus there, to think you have seen the end of the gospel. You have not. Go to the beginning. Go to God's grace. And you will see that our salvation is, in fact, worthy. Worthy of our constant focus and consideration. Moving on. The second reason our salvation deserves our constant consideration is because we have been given the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Something as Baptist, I'll admit, we kind of sleep on a little bit. We don't want to go too far. We're not charismatic. Got to be careful. But we have been given an empowering of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's see what this, what this looks like. I want to try to use the, the, the words of Paul here from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7-9. through 9. If you want to follow through this, this is Paul speaking upon the reliance of the Holy Spirit. Starting here in verse 7. He says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's saying they've not been able to understand the wisdom of God. That previous generation and the rulers that were there and the people that nailed Jesus to the cross could have understood it, they wouldn't have killed him. He says, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for him, for those who love him. He goes on to say, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one accepts 
knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul, again, says if the earlier generation could understand the things, the cross, they could understand the things of God, they wouldn't have killed the Son of God. But we, this generation here, we have a working of the Holy Spirit externally and internally. Meaning when the message comes to you, when I, you get to receive the Word. Paul also says in other places, in power. They receive the Word in, in, in power. So it's proclaimed powerfully. It's received powerfully. And that's done by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now let's consider... What, what that looks like, if you, if you think of Peter's sermon on, on the day of, of Pentecost. He's preaching to a crowd, preaching to the same crowd that crucified the Lord Jesus. He gets up there and he says, you're murderers. You killed the Son of God. The Messiah, you crucified. Repent. Repent and believe for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. He, he's actually calling them out. The same crowd that, that killed Jesus, here he stands boldly proclaiming through the Holy Spirit that, that they had received. And look what happens. By the power of the Holy Spirit, on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. The same souls that were ready to kill over that message before they could understand that message. And my favorite thing about that sermon is I see nothing in my Bible that says the Holy Spirit can't work like that today. There's nothing there that says by His power those things can't still happen. The gift of the Holy Spirit is, is amazing. We can focus on our salvation and we can actually understand it. We can focus on God's grace and we begin to get it a little bit. It's not just an empty thought, an empty focus. Let me just clear my mind and meditate. No, it grows you, it shapes you, it prepares you. Peter's given this entire passage for a call to obedience and to action to fix your mind. He's talking to a group of aliens from the Christian dispersion living in foreign lands and they're facing persecution every day. And he's saying, this is how you get through that. You focus on the gifts of God, the privileges of your salvation, and you will forget about this and you will see that. And we can do that because we have the gift of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you the wonder and the wisdom and the grace of God that was brought to you through faith. And He will also empower you to live that life of, of obedience through, through persecution or just to maintain some Christian disciplines. Third reason our salvation deserves our constant consideration is because we have an exclusive, exclusive salvation. I had a few sleepless nights this week as I, as I just poured over this passage, and I just felt like God was working me up one side and, and down the other. I had Brother Richard on the phone until 10 o'clock. 
10 o'clock. Those of you that know him, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, okay? I felt loved. I did. I knew he cared for me. <laughs> but as I'm thinking, this is, this is the thing that just, man, this gets me. This gets me. Why was our salvation such a, a spectacle to the angels of heaven? Right, it seems like they would kind of have the inside track. Like they would have a little bit up there maybe that we don't have, that they don't, that they don't know. But as, as Peter's going through this passage and he's talking about the greatness of our, of our salvation that is now and that, and that is to come and how, how God put that together, the, the grace that came out of the eternal counsels of his will to save sinners. So let's, let's consider the angels why was, it, why was it so glorious to them? Well, one, they, they had an amazing involvement in the life of Jesus, right? They were able to announce his, his birth. They ministered to him in the desert after, after he went through his, his temptation. They, they announced it at his grave that he's not here anymore. He is risen. He's gone. So they announced his, his ascension. So they've had this special, special connection to, to Christ and the glory that he has exalted through his, through his life. And so, naturally, when they look to man, or let me back up. Let's do, let's do a little bit of, of, of comparison here. The angels and, and people were both given a suitable environment that was perfect for them to to live and to thrive in the angels have heaven they have god they have what they were made for they exist to glorify and to look on the glory of god we were given perfect bodies perfect minds on a perfect earth to work and thrive and and serve the lord and bring him glory and worship him through through the work of of creation or our work in creation And, and and satan comes and he and he deceives and he and he steals these angels from heaven through through sin his pride and his vanity it infected him and he wanted to be above god and he created this this band of angels that were fallen from grace satan comes to to eve in the garden and he and he and he tempts her to god really say that is that really what will happen will you die and he tricks and he deceives and then he he ultimately infects her with sin and and through sin Unlike the angels, all of humanity is infected. We're runt. From the angel's perspective, once you are infected with sin, it's curtains. <laughs> there's, no, there's no coming back from that. It is, it is over. Grace was not extended to those fallen angels. They were not part of the redemptive plan. So these angels see that God has a grace so big and a Messiah so pure that can save sinners, they couldn't get enough of it. They longed to see, to figure this out. How? How is this possible? Not because they thought, okay, well now those angels, are, they're going to be brought back. No. It was all about the glory of God. There's not a more God-glorifying work in redemptive history than his plan to save fallen sinners. And that's what captivated the angels, the glory that came through our salvation. We have been given this, this exclusive 
salvation that not even the angels in heaven know. And because they exist to to look on the glory of God and to glorify Him, they see this this glorifying work of, of saving lost and fallen sinners through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And they long, they long to look on these things. Our salvation was set aside by God exclusively for us. We are the sole beneficiaries of God's saving grace. And I doubt that myself nor any of us will ever be able to fully grasp these intricacies of how we are saved, the inner workings of God's mind. We will spend an eternity of eternities just gazing on that like the angels and thinking, wow, how did he do it? I believe only God will ever fully know how that works, but I know in heaven every day it's going to bring an incomprehensible glory to our mind. The glories of heaven will never fade, and I believe it's why. I believe that's found in the gospel and the exclusiveness of God's plan to save us. If you will give careful consideration to your salvation through the lens of of the gospel, looking fully at the gospel, at the grace that the gospel comes through, God's overarching plan of salvation that comes to us by His amazing grace, you're going to be just filled, filled with the living hope that will guide you protect you, keep you safe, so that when you walk out of these doors as a child of God in a fallen and perverse generation, you can stand firm. But if your mind is not fixed on the things of God, if you are not captivated by saving grace in your life and the salvation that we are looking forward to, it's likely that you're going to fall. In Psalm 51, and I'll work my way to a close with this, but in Psalm 51, David cried out with his heart to God, Restore me, restore me to the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. Let me ask you, do you still consider the joy of your salvation? When is the the last time you searched the Scriptures like the prophets of old and made inquiries into everything that is contained in that one word, salvation? When was the last time you were just simply moved to tears by the blood of Jesus that saved you? How long has it been since you have considered these things? Have, Have you done that lately? Just deeply considered that the God of the universe breathed the breath of saving grace into your dead body, caused you to be born again to an inheritance that is kept for you, protected for you, preserved in heaven, unfading and imperishable the day we see Jesus. I pray, oh, I pray that your salvation would remain under constant consideration as long as you live on this earth and that you will know the benefits 
of that. That you will, can be prepared for obedience. Peter's given a call to action here to fix your minds, to be prepared for holy lives, and to make it through persecution. As we said earlier, our persecution is a little bit different here, but it is, it's snowballing. It's, it's growing. Right, and we gotta be, we got to be fixed. We've got to have our minds prepared for anything that might come, big or small. So Christian, please, consider these reasons and make your salvation. Fix it in your mind. It's just the focus of your mind's eye constantly. But because we have the full view of the gospel, because we have the empowering of the Spirit, and because we have this exclusive salvation, let your mind go to those things. And today, if you're here, and you don't know what salvation is, if you're thinking, what is He talking about? And maybe you're thinking, I want that. You've already heard that according to God's loving kindness and His will, He has a, a plan, an eternal plan for eternal salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is that the same thing that the countless number of of fallen lost sinners just like me have done when they heard the gospel. When they've seen the glory of God, when they've seen the love of Christ for them, when they felt God's grace. That's just to repent. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. So my plea to you is this. Don't walk out of this building as a lost soul facing future judgment but walk out of here as a child of God with the present salvation and a future salvation even greater to um, let me pray for us Heavenly Father how great is the salvation that, that you have brought us Lord through grace and through Jesus, God, you saved us. Lord, let that just captivate our hearts and our minds and prepare us for a life of service and holiness and living lives different that we may actually be separate, to actually come out and be separate from the world so that we might shine for you. Be lights of your glory like the prophets that, that went around not serving themselves, not with the full view. It said they were like blind lamplighters tapping tapping their way around, shining lights for, for glory to come that they wouldn't even get to see. God, let us do those things. But with the full view and the empowering, the exclusiveness of our salvation. God, we love you. We praise you in Christ's name.